Papa, Mama, be there. Sorry, I never told you all I wanted to say. And I know eventually we'll be together one sweet day. guys welcome to the true crime sisters podcast thank you for joining us today we hope you're all doing well before we start as always we wanted to thank some more of our patrons so a big thank you to amanda miranda linda claudia sheree elizabeth bonnia nana h janet drina dane and janaya Thanks, guys. We really appreciate the support. And if you find this week's case interesting, we highly recommend the books Cold-Blooded Murder by Malcolm Brown and The Australian Book of Family Murders by Wendy Lewis, both of which had great chapters about this case. And with that, I'll pass you over to Bill to get a start on this week's episode. On the 10th of July, 2001, Just shy of midnight, emergency services dispatch received a frantic phone call from a young male. Please come. Someone is at my parents. Killed my family. There is a lot of blood everywhere. Help me, help me. When will they come? The phone call was made by 20-year-old Seth Gonzalez. After making the phone call, Seth ran from his North Ride home to his neighbour John Artamian's house, shouting and banging on his walls. Help, help, John. Where are you? My parents, my family have all been killed. While John was reluctant to assist Seth, another neighbour from the quiet cul-de-sac, Shane Hanley, heard the commotion and ran to help. He found Seth crying hysterically, and Seth told him that he had seen an intruder run off down the street, but he couldn't catch up with him. As Shane comforted the distressed young man, Seth suddenly looked up and yelled, CPR, CPR, before leaping up and running back towards the house. Shane followed him into the house and was horrified by the carnage inside. The body of 46-year-old Teddy Gonzalez, Seth's father, was laying just inside the front door and he was still dressed in his work suit. Seth yelled, Daddy, Daddy, over and over again as he bent over his father's body. Not long after Seth and Shane entered the house, the first police officer arrived with his gun drawn and closed off the crime scene. The police officer was confronted with the same horror that Shane had been. Teddy Gonzalez had clearly suffered from multiple stab wounds, one of which had punctured his heart. His spinal cord had also been partially severed with the knife. As police trekked further into the house, they saw Seth's mother, Mary Loiva Gonzalez. She had stab wounds to her face and upper body, and her windpipe had been severed in half. Like Teddy, she was also wearing her work clothes. Her handbag and its contents were scattered near her body, along with groceries that she had been carrying when she was attacked. 
Upstairs, police found 18-year-old Claudine Gonzalez, who was Seth's sister, laying in the fetal position in a pool of her own blood. On the living room wall in blue paint were the words, Fuck off Asians, KKK. Police immediately thought that this message was more likely to be a red herring than a genuine racial slur against the family. Seth Gonzalez was born in Baguio, Benguet, in the Philippines on the 16th of September, 1980. In 1990, the family decided to immigrate to Australia after their hotel business was destroyed by an earthquake. Kuya Teodora Gonzalez, or Teddy, to friends and family, was born in 1955 and was a successful qualified lawyer in the Philippines. The family moved to New South Wales in 1991 and Teddy was admitted as a solicitor in 1993. He opened his own practice in 1996 in Blacktown, specialising in immigration law. In 2000, the Gonzalez family were able to purchase their dream home, a brand new house in the affluent suburb of North Ryde. Seth's mother, Mary Josephine Loiva Gonzalez, known as Loiva to friends and family, was born in 1958 and was the receptionist and secretary for her husband's successful law business. The Gonzalez family was amongst the many hard-working Asian families who settled in Australia after the Whitlam government loosened the restrictions on immigration. Teddy and Loiva Gonzalez worked very hard and sacrificed a lot to give their children the opportunity to succeed in their new country. As a result of this, their expectations of their children were very high. They were harsh disciplinarians with Seth and Claudine, but only because they wanted the best for them. Seth and Claudine were the centre of their world. Both parents had dreams for Seth that he would be a heart surgeon or a lawyer, but the Gonzalez children didn't always live up to their parents' expectations. While Seth would sometimes appear polite and engaging to those that met him, he had another side. He could also come across as narcissistic and spoilt, believing he was entitled to the best of everything without putting in the hard work required. He had been known to embellish the truth to try and make himself look better. In the past, Seth had told his high school friends many lies in order to garner their attention and admiration. He said that he had a recording contract as a singer in the Philippines, he was a Calvin Klein model, and that a mark on his arm had been caused by being fired at by a sniper. Maybe the most absurd claim was that he claimed he had cervical cancer. At one stage, he created a fan page for himself on the internet, later saying that a friend had set it up. The website had photos of him in his underwear and said that he was the runner-up in Calvin Klein Asia's modelling competition, which was obviously untrue. He hadn't performed well in his Year 12 high school certificate, and his results were not high enough to get him into medicine or law. His parents encouraged him to accept a position at the University of New South Wales in a science degree, with the hopes of transferring to a medicine degree along the way. Unfortunately, Seth was not willing to put in the effort and often failed to submit his assignments or attend his exams. 
At one stage, he actually forged his academic transcripts so that his parents wouldn't figure out how poorly he was doing. His mistake was showing this to his sister Claudine and bragging to her. She told their parents what he had done and they were extremely disappointed and ashamed, withdrawing his privileges for some time. In 2000, Seth gave up on becoming a doctor and transferred to Macquarie University Arts degree with the goal of undertaking legal units to transfer to a law degree. Again, he continued to make no effort and remained a constant source of disappointment for his parents. Seth's sister Claudine didn't quite live up to her parents' expectations either. After she had snuck out to see a boyfriend that her parents didn't approve of, they had sent her to live with an aunt in Melbourne to attend Catholic Girls High School, Siena College. She was home at the time of the murders because it was school holidays. At some stage, Seth had a brief fling with the Chinese girl who was four years his senior. The two had met at Macquarie Shopping Centre. After they hooked up, Seth became obsessed with her. He briefly introduced her to Loiva when she was washing one of the dogs, and Loiva basically ignored her. Teddy and Loiva didn't approve because of the age gap and because it was another distraction from Seth's studies. After their brief fling, the object of Seth's affection went back to a previous boyfriend, but this didn't stop Seth from thinking they were together. Seth even bought her an engagement necklace. The girl would later say that she had barely known Seth and wouldn't want to call it a relationship. In mid-2001, Seth realised he was going to fail all four of his semester one subjects and that his parents were going to punish him. They had threatened to take away his beloved Ford Festiva car and stop his allowance if he continued to slack at uni. After police sealed off the crime scene, they sent sniffer dogs in the direction that Seth said that he had seen an intruder, but the dogs found nothing. The crime struck police as frenzied, disorganised and a hate-filled attack. The killer had wanted the three Gonzalez family members dead at any cost. The attacks were so severe that any number of injuries on each individual could have been the cause of death. It didn't take police long to rule out multiple killers settling on a single perpetrator. For this reason, police believed the killer was laying in wait for each member of the family, brutally killing one after the other as they entered the home. The killer started with Claudine, who was studying in her room when she was attacked. Each victim had been deceased for some time, which was evident from the temperature of their bodies. Three days after the murders, on the 13th of June 2001, Seth requested a press conference so that he could address the media. He told the press how much his family had meant to him and went through each of their positive traits. Seth explained how his father Teddy did so much for the family and would go out of his way to help the less fortunate. His mother was a woman of God and the heart of the family, and his sister was a bright, happy young woman. He said, quote, It is difficult to explain the love and ties in my family, but if you were to picture the four corners of the world, in my world we were the four. The three corners of my world are now gone. The Gonzalez's extended family all flew in from the Philippines in the week after the murders to mourn and attend the funerals, which were held on the 20th of June, 2001. 
in a eulogy for his family at the funerals, Seth repeated what he had said at the press conference. After he spoke, he slowly closed his eyes and broke into song, choosing to sing Mariah Carey's One Sweet Day. There seemed to be two different reactions to this odd move. Some of the 200 funeral attendees found it to be a moving show of love for his family, and others were unnerved, finding it to be a strange move for someone who had just lost his entire family in such brutal and tragic circumstances. What Seth's extended family didn't know was that within three days of his entire family's massacre, he had gone to see his father's accountant. He wanted to know about his potential inheritance and his father's superannuation. This move raised red flags for investigators of the Gonzalez family massacre. Despite this, police assured the media, quote, Young Seth and his family have cooperated with investigators. We are satisfied with the explanation so far. We are continuing our inquiries. We are keeping an open mind in relation to various lines of inquiry. Of course, as the one surviving member of the Gonzalez family, police had to establish Seth's whereabouts at the time of the murders. He told them that he had spent the morning at home before heading into his father's law office to help them fix the computer. He said he left the office at approximately 4.30pm, arriving home at 6pm. He told police that he didn't go inside the house because as soon as he pulled into the driveway, he had received a phone call from his friend Sam and they had arranged to go grab dinner together at 8pm. He said he then left his driveway and went to catch up with a friend, Raf. He said he gave up on that idea as he didn't have Raf's address or phone number, so he drove around aimlessly until he went to pick up Sam at 8pm. What Seth didn't realise at the time was that his car had been sighted in the carport at 4.30 when he said he had just left his dad's office. A client of his father's had dropped something in the Gonzales letterbox when he saw the Ford Festiva with the distinctive number plate SEF80G in the carport. And this client was not the only witness to call Seth's alibi into question. Seth's aunt Emily and her son had tried to drop into the Gonzales home at approximately 6pm on the night of the murders. She saw that Seth's green Ford was in the carport. She rang the doorbell, but there was no answer, despite lights being on in the house. She immediately got the feeling that something wasn't right. She noticed a flash of movement occur behind the frosted glass door and thought that it looked like a man with a jacket and a cap on. She pointed this out to her son, but he thought it looked like a coat stand. While the Gonzales's six dogs would usually be barking non-stop at their arrival... That night, there were no sounds. Emily felt very unsettled. The pair waited at the door for five minutes, ringing the doorbell, before beginning to walk around to the house's side door. Before they got to the side door, they stopped, and Emily would later say, quote, I thought maybe someone was at home, but something stopped me and I changed my mind. Something just stopped me. She would later wonder what the fate of her and her son would have been if they had entered through the side door. Once the Gonzales crime scene had been processed and Seth was allowed to come home, he called the Gladsville police and reported some items missing. He noted that three tracksuits, a leather jacket 
a school blazer, gardening gloves and his father's runners were missing. Police found it odd that he had noticed that these specific items were not in the house. In October 2001, Seth went to a Chatswood Lexus showroom and inquired about a $173,000 Lexus SC430, telling the car salesman he was expecting a large overseas inheritance. He put down a $5,000 deposit. It was around the same time that Seth began selling off his family's belongings. He sold a bunch of their household items at a pawn shop for $200. He then sold his mother's Mitsubishi Pajero and his dad's Toyota Celica for a combined $68,545, telling the buyers that he desperately needed the money for cancer treatment. Meanwhile, the police had formed a task force to intensely investigate the Gonzalez family massacre. Task Force Towers was based at the Gladesville Police Station and was under the command of Detective Inspector Jeff Leonard. In reviewing the evidence, investigators were beginning to put together a picture of what had happened on the night of the murders. It appeared that Claudine had been attacked first while she was studying at her desk. The attacker had approached from behind in a surprise, frenzied attack. The attacker had then laid in wait for their next victim. Loiva had arrived home at approximately 6pm from work, carrying her handbag and a bag of groceries. When she walked through the door, she was attacked. The attacker cut Loiva's throat and tipped the contents of her bags all over the floor, leaving the money. When Teddy arrived home at approximately 7pm, he was also attacked, and their contents of his briefcase were scattered on the floor. Again, no money was taken. Clearly, robbery was not the motive for these murders. The dogs had been locked in the bedroom and the laundry. Police went to Seth's friends, Sam DeSillo, to inquire about his account of July 10th, 2001. Sam confirmed that Seth picked him up at approximately 8pm and the pair went to Planet Hollywood to have dinner. Sam found Seth to be his normal, upbeat self, and he mostly talked about the girl that he was obsessed with. There was no red flags for Sam at that point. He remembered that Seth dropped into the conversation that he had spent the afternoon driving around Blacktown. He also recalled that when they got to dinner, Seth didn't eat much. He said he wasn't feeling well and mentioned that his mother had recently had food poisoning. After dinner, they went to play pool and video games until around 11pm that night. Sam recalled that Seth kept asking to use his mobile phone every 15 minutes, continuously stating that the phone at home was engaged. After seeing how concerned Seth was, Sam had actually suggested they drop in to check on the family, but Seth declined. While they were driving home, Sam noticed that Seth slowed right down as they passed his road on the way to Sam's. Seth then dropped him home. At the time, he had no idea how crucial it was that he remember that night. The more police investigated, the more they kept coming back to the one person as a suspect, Seth Gonzalez. They believed that Seth was hoping someone else would discover his family's bodies, so when he slowed down, he was hoping to see emergency services at his house on his way to drop off Sam. When that didn't go to plan... He had no choice but to go home and make the discovery himself at 11.45pm.
Investigators decided it was time to start closing in on Seth. They confronted him with the knowledge that his car had been in the carport at the time of the murders, forcing Seth to change his alibi. Seth's story changed to that he had indeed left his car in the carport, but that he had gone to see a sex worker and he was embarrassed to tell them that initially. He said he caught a taxi to Chatswood and visited a brothel named La Petite Aroma. He said he then met with a sex worker before catching a taxi home. He said he had been ashamed that he had done this while his family were being murdered. After disclosing this alibi change, Seth desperately contacted a sex worker from La Petite Aroma and begged her to confirm his alibi to police. He told her he had seen her at 6pm on the 10th of July and made her feel uncomfortable, bombarding her with text messages. For example, I need your help to prove my honesty. Please can I call you, please. Despite her telling him she didn't meet clients outside of work, he kept pressing. Going there saved my life. I just have to prove it. I need to explain to you in person. Please, I beg you. She remembered seeing the news about the murders the next morning and knew if she had been with Seth the night before, she would have recognised him on the news. In the end, it didn't matter. Police looked into this alibi and saw that the sex worker was rostered off work from the 9th of July to the 15th to care for her child. Seth had also bribed a taxi driver with $50 to write a false statement saying that he was the one to pick him up and drive him to Chatswood. Seth assured him that that it was only related to a minor incident and the taxi driver believed that Seth looked innocent enough. As soon as the taxi driver realised that he had signed a statement as an alibi to a homicide, he called the police and fessed up. In early 2002, Seth Gonzalez felt the walls closing in on him and started grasping at straws. At 8.30am on the 1st of April 2002, a man stumbled across Seth Gonzalez laying in a gutter in Chatswood with a plastic bag next to him. He told the man he couldn't breathe and asked the man if he could get his father. Seth was taken to the Royal North Shore Hospital. He appeared unable to remember his own name. Police came to the hospital to interview him and he told them he had been stalked and pulled into a car by two men. They had told him not to offer any rewards for his family's murders and not to talk to the media. According to Seth, they had then hit him over the head with a plank of wood and put a plastic bag over his head before throwing him into the gutter. When doctors examined Seth, they couldn't locate any head injuries from the wood. Seth Gonzalez was arrested and charged with the murders of his family at the Chatswood Police Station on the 13th of June 2002. Right from the start, at Seth's preliminary hearing, the court was told that Seth would be denying any involvement in the murders. Seth's lawyer, Peter Kintamina, stated, My client will be pleading not guilty, and he will be vigorously contesting the allegations against him. He was refused bail on the grounds that he was a danger to his existing relatives. Seth tried to gain access to his parents' $1.2 million estate in order to fund his defence for his trial, but his grandmother refused. Seth tried to take legal action against her, but was unsuccessful. 
The trial against Seth Gonzalez began on the 5th of April 2004. Barrister Winston Perasini, SC, had offered to represent Seth Gonzalez pro bono, and Mark Tedeschi, QC, was the senior Crown prosecutor. Tedeschi ran the court through what the Crown believed had happened on the night of July 10th, 2001, as well as calling out the lies and inconsistencies in Seth Gonzalez's account. It was also revealed that Seth had most likely attempted to kill his family prior to the murders. This began when Seth was googling poisonous plants and how to kill. On the 24th of June 2001, he ordered some castor oil seeds, which are extremely toxic, and received them later that week. The internet had told him that the seeds could kill somebody within three days of consumption and leave no trace. The death would be slow and painful. As instructed in his Google searches, he shelled them, mixed them with warm water and tipped them into a film canister. Two days later, Loiva became very ill with acute abdominal pain and diarrhoea. Initially, she thought it must be food poisoning, but after the pain intensified, she was admitted to the Sydney Adventist Hospital. She was found to have internal bleeding and inflammation of the large bowel. Tests were conducted at the hospital, but they were inconclusive, and she was able to recover in the following days. Seth was quick to suggest that Loiva's illness may have been caused by food at a restaurant the family had visited, as he felt ill too. He then quickly cancelled an order for a second batch of the poisonous seeds. Around the same time that Seth had ordered the seeds, he had sent a letter to a food and beverage company stating that some of their products were contaminated with poison in an attempt to extort money out of them. He had expected it to be big news in the media, but there were no headlines about it. However, the Australian Federal Police were notified and a fingerprint was lifted from the envelope and put on file. Obviously, this was just prior to the Gonzalez murders, so Seth's fingerprints had not been on file at the time. But once he was charged with the murders of his family they were able to match the two events and link them with Seth's internet history and Loiva's hospital admission. Another inconsistency pointed out at trial was that the killer had left blood shoe impressions on the floor at the crime scene. Police identified it as a size 7 human brand shoe, which was identical to a pair of shoes that a relative of Teddy's had bought for him as a present. The shoes were not found within the Gonzalez home, but in Seth's bedroom, they were able to find a size 7 human brand shoebox. It was pointed out that police had discovered a knife block with two knives missing in the Gonzalez's kitchen. When they obtained an identical knife block, they found that the missing knives were a perfect match to the wounds on the victims' bodies. As well as this, the racist message on the wall was written with paint. That was an identical brand to the ones the family had stored in the garage, except the blue one was clearly missing. Police believed that after Seth had killed his family, at approximately 7pm, he left the house to dispose of the knives, a pair of garden gloves, the shoes, and three different blood-soaked tracksuits, one for each murder. Next-door neighbour John had heard a noise like somebody was sliding across the aluminium sheeting between the two houses at 7pm. 
and it was thought that this was Seth getting ready to leave. They believed that before going to pick up Sam, Seth stopped at a nearby primary school to clean himself up. When it was time for the defence to respond to the evidence, to all the evidence presented against Seth, Terracini said that yes, Seth Gonzalez was a liar, but that that did not make him a murderer. Seth spoke in his own defence at the trial, quote, I will be the first to admit that nothing I say will really hold any weight. Although three years seems like a long time, I look back at my life before the murders and before I was arrested and I accept that there is so much I have done that I am not proud of. So much that I wish I could take back. So much that I wish I could do differently, but I can't. I believe that I was put on trial for being a bad person, not for murder. The motive for Seth Gonzalez to kill his entire family was clear. He knew that his parents were going to find out that he had failed the semester at uni and would punish him. And even more so, he wanted to access their estimated $1.5 million estate. In Teddy Gonzalez's 1998 will, it stated that if both parents were to die at the same time, the estate was to be divided equally between Seth and Claudine, and for that reason, Claudine had to die too before she was due to fly back to Melbourne. The jury took four and a half hours to deliberate on the case before they returned with a verdict. On the 20th of May, 2003, Seth Gonzalez was found guilty of murdering his entire family, Teddy, Loiva and Claudine Gonzalez. Seth gasped with surprise when the verdict was read, but nobody else did. The evidence was overwhelming. On the 17th of, De of September 2004, the day after his 24th birthday, Seth Gonzalez was sentenced to three life sentences. Judge Justice Bruce James believed that Seth would remain a continued danger to society, and along with his lack of remorse, the crime was in the worst category of human behaviour. He said, quote, I consider that the murders show features of a great heinousness and that there are no facts mitigating the objective seriousness of the murders, and hence the murders fall within the worst category of cases at common law. The family of Teddy, Loiva and Claudine were devastated. There was no victory or relief. One of Loiva's sisters spoke out, I think justice has been done but it would have been easier to accept if it were a different person. I just wish it wasn't him. Seth Gonzalez now spends his days at the maximum security Goldburn Super Prison in New South Wales. According to reports, he maintains his innocence to this day. Our thoughts go out to the remaining members of the Gonzalez family. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. Please join us next time for another episode, and until then, please stay safe.